0: Welcome, everyone, to The Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. I'm joined today by a recurring guest, Nikolaus Sabatil. Hi, Nico.
1: Hi, Eyal. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Go ahead. Tell us what we're going to discuss today. So today we talk about the power of stories. Uh, that's a big, big passion of mine. I was raised within stories and uh, that was always my biggest uh, drive and motivation and Honestly, the only way I can operate.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. So you know the rules. You take it. You take the lead. You tell us, um, yeah, how far back do you want to go to a time when stories matter to you? And what kind of impact is this first story had in your life?
1: Yeah, so as long as I can remember, actually, I my first memories were really stories. My first memory was a dream. So this tells a lot. So really, (laughs) if I go back till I can't remember, my first memory is a very, very dramatic dream I had as a child. And um, so it was, I don't understand still what it was, but I was going through a church and there were these monks with shining eyes on the corridor. And uh, I was carried as a small child through this corridor to the altar of the church with all these mysterious monks. I knew after this, after I arrived at the altar something big and great adventure awaits me. And then I arrived and I woke up. And so this is my first memory I have. very mysterious, very strange David Lynch style. Um, but uh, then I started to be fascinated very early on with uh, sitcoms and and, and and superheroes for sure like Batman. Um, The the old Batman uh, with Bruce Lee partly in it, Uh, and it was always my driving force. So I was best functioning, the most social, the most inspired and the most well-functioning child when I was within stories. That means I either did a role play with friends, I told a story, I was reading a story. I was very early on addicted to books also. So this is something like um, my dad always says there's probably no child in the world that um, had was so spoiled with stories than me. <laughs> so nearly every eve they were reading stories to me because I was a very hyperactive child, as I'm still. Um, and the only way they brought me to sleep was with stories. So they had to use nearly every eve a story to read to me. And I had already a own library um, when I was a small child.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, first of all, I think my daughter will will put up a fight on this title that you just uh, came up with. the most stories yeah, she has a, a library that's probably bigger than many people um, grown-ups. Yeah, so what did that? Uh, to do, you do, do, do you when do you consciously begin to think about what these stories are and what they add to your life um what would it be like without those stories
1: mm-hmm. yeah very long it was just subconscious for sure as a child you're just fascinated and naturally attracted to it right and um for sure uh, me and my brother were recording a lot of stupid, uh, talk shows on our own and try to make our own little movies. So there was this hint like I've got a lot of motivation, energy already out of creating my own stories. And this I was already reflected by me as a, I don't know, 10 year old. I knew I want to create stories always. Um, this gives me so much energy, motivation and focus like nothing else. And really passion that I felt already as a child for it. Um, this was more or less the first hint that p- stories play a very big part for me. Um, later, then, uh, the movie Last Samurai inspired me to get into Buddhism. So, a movie that influenced me to get into some really deep spiritual work. I practiced uh, then 12, 14 years, uh, 15 years Buddhism, very intense. Um, and uh, then uh, during my studies I realized the practice of improvisation and the power it had and then I remembered back and I became the first time conscious why I love stories so much also because they provided me also as a child, as a teenager when I was very anxious with um, orientation, with a guideline and with a clear inspiration of how to act, but not just how, but this inspiration of, of heroeship, of energy, of responsibility. And it gave me a taste and aesthetic of life. And in this way, I felt already as a teenager, then I remember back, I used heroes and TV stars as identity blueprints to get self-confident, for example. I was very shy pupil. But when I absorbed strong impactful movies or series, I finally I felt them inside me, like a empathic way. I vibed with them and then I spoke in a similar way, or at least I felt from the inside that these characters carried me. They really carried me. There was hardly then conscious control of my words anymore because the vibe of the movie I watched carried me and this was the first big impact I realized then wait there's this huge I didn't call it therapeutic then but there's this huge power of changing of enabling you
0: yeah yeah I I can yeah this resonates with me a lot you young so when you say Buddhism I I I of course think of uh Siddhartha right a book like Siddhartha where it gives you this character, this protagonist that, um, as a young person, it's very alluring to start basing your identity on something that you've read on a book, because we're born without any sort of idea who we might want to be or who we could be or what is out there. We have very few models around us in the community where we grow up and we probably like some of the people and some of them we dislike uh, but through stories we can get to know so many people of course you can't hug them they're not there but you do know this person if the character is well written enough is um, is yeah if the character is well written enough, you can begin to think about oh you know what what which aspects of this character's personality do I like what what don't I like and this um, really shapes us i i agree so for me uh well i mean i think hermann hesse is uh is a very popular uh, coming of age author and and for good reason right so if yes. we if we focus on this teenage years uh period where you really get shaped by the stories you read i think he's a very good example to look at and if you read the siddhartha or uh, narcissus and Goldmund and these stories, um, there's just something there that is for teenagers uh, so fascinating about these characters that they they have the they have the search, they have the yes. um, they have the the finding and then finding something and then moving on to another something because the mm. first thing you found was not exactly what you end up being because you start finding faults with this idea you had so. Yeah, that is really amazing how stories can uh, get us to know people. And basically, I remember about myself as well when I started having ideas about what kind of person I want to be. You know, when you realize, okay, you're born and you act out of instinct, or um, you know, your id is is just doing its thing. Uh, I love it that I'm putting in a lot of German words when I'm speaking to you. <laughs> Um, and then you realize wait the stories that i read there are characters in them that i can consciously emulate and i am the master of my own story right i can write Mm -hmm. stories about fictional people but my own biography is something that i can i can write to an extent
1: yes uh it's huge huge power um as you say, um, emulating characters. This is exactly one of the first aspects I realized of in the stories, that like, I absorbed the stories and then there was a natural emulation, a simulation of them happening in me. That really carried me, inspired me, and colored me. And uh, this is also what research shows now, that they can measure really the aspects if you identify a lot with a, a character in a book, a movie, or another story you will activate the same brain parts of the characteristics, um, then you would really have the same mind. Like we are simulating mind of others. And that's an amazing wonder, what the power of stories can do. That we read something and we suddenly experience life from another perspective. We can feel into what it is to be an old lady when you are young. And when you're an old lady, you can feel again the joy and wonder of a small child if you read a book. Is there a bigger wonder than this, that you can really dive into another's human experience? And it simulates, and it's the, the magic is the best stories are like so personal, because they, they don't give you like a bad movie, the, the script and the cliches of how the story should be, but there's some weakness. This is more like a good story works like a seed for your subconscious. And I tell you, "And the lonely child walks into the dark forest, full of fog and hungry eyes," everybody will have a different picture. Everybody creates his own world. And suddenly, I just this was was one sentence. Yeah. So many emotions so many images, so much body feeling, and maybe you felt the fog on your skin shortly. So that, this is something amazing. Like, it's like a mind virus that you can give, right, to the subconscious. One emotional sentence, one metaphor, and you transport a whole world to another person. And yeah. there's a beauty in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to I wanna touch on what you said about, um, how we, you know, basically the the act of emulation or taking or putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes, it's also something that I find very interesting. So the art of acting, right? Mm -hmm. Being someone else literally for a limited amount of time. But it really shows if you, uh, at the same time, we know it isn't somebody else. We still use the same body. It's happening in one brain these patterns yeah. you know mm-hmm. and yet we um we can be somebody who reacts very differently to situations than the real person who is us who who we know would react very differently to that situation so if we play a very patient character or a generous character yeah. and we know that us ourselves have the behavior of somebody who is um neurotic and and stingy with <laughs> with that's fascinating so the, the thought that really anything we do is acting yes. and it is based on something. It's just that uh, this acting of this specific uh, character becomes habitual. So we don't yes. call it a character anymore. We don't call it acting. Now we call it us because this is literally our, our, our behavior and the, be- the behavior that is identified with us. Um, yes, But I think that a great way to, to tweak that a little bit and to make sure that we don't ossify and fall into the same old patterns is, of course, with stories and considering characters and judging them and finding all the time new characters that maybe are doing things better than we do currently so we can decide to act
1: like that. Yes, that's a very, very beautiful, uh, huge topic, and that is still very young. Uh, so, um, th- we know it from old, old times that stories influence us in this way and that we can emulate us. And in Buddhism, we have this uh, meditation type of self inquiry, right? Where we realize, oh, shit, my own story is also just a story in itself, and uh, then you can ask yourself your questions like, uh, is this thought me? Is this thought me? And then you don't find any thought that is me and where am I? So because everything is just the coming and going, passing thought um, or perception. The beautiful thing is that we can play now with this because it's habits. And uh, my first um, entry point was, or one of the first entry points was improv, for sure, with this, how we can change these habits that we have in our minds. And first, I thought, you know, that what is the opposite of a cage in the habit? I said, ah, free talking, free improv without any rules, right? Because you can then express completely freely. But then I realized, shit, something is not working. For sure, you can express and be free and just... uh, talk without thinking and it's a good part of the getting free from yourself from your old habits to just express without thinking and uh provoke and get out there out of your head that's a good first step but the problem is that our habits always draw us back because what are your free words your free talking is just again your associations that you have if i tell you the color blue, you will say sea. I, as Austrian, will say lake. So it's very, very personal what comes out of this habituated mind. The power, the second, very, very important aspect of this is now giving a new form of agency. So it's not enough to escape, unfortunately, often that we express and try to break our habits unconscious but providing a new form of agency, diving into another aesthetic, because this inspires us. This is also how we learn naturally as children how we behave, right? So we observe our parents, how they behave. If mommy gets angry, what does she do? Does she scream? Does she uh, hit my daddy? Does she laugh about it? Does she carry on without expressing any emotion? How is mommy handling anger? And if we absorb this Mm -hmm. as a child, so it's the most natural way for us to still learn this um, in uh, the adulthood. And uh, for example, when just now recently they found out, because you mentioned that it's so amazing in acting that a small child can play an old lady or vice versa, despite you have this completely different bodies. For example, yeah. They found out that dreaming or also um, fantasizing, there's hardly a difference in our brain functions than actually doing it. So they yeah. use this for sports coaching, imagining doing the salto. If you're doing it really the repetition and training it in mind, it's nearly the same as really practicing it, pursuing sure the muscles and everything else. But the mental training is a very big part because there's hardly any difference in our brain about it. And uh, for example, they use it in stroke patients. Stroke patients that can't move their hands anymore uh, because the brain part was destroyed, they still can imagine doing the uh, movement. And then they always detect it when they imagine it and connect it to a muscle stimulator. And the hand moves again, and with this Pavlov conditioning, It's coupled again, the fantasy of moving, we can relearn it. So this is a very big, big power that we have to simulate. But often we need a narrative, an aesthetic that inspires us. Another very, very big impact that was just recently more or less cultivated and is very still young and very niche in psychology is hypnotherapy. Um, usually we associate with hypnotherapy the cliche of the pendulum in front of the eyes or a spiral turning. Yeah. But this is maybe cool for, uh, stage hypnotism, but it doesn't work so deep as narrative hypnotism. That means where I provide you with a personal story that we explore so deep that it becomes subconscious. That means, for example, if you come as a gardener to me and uh, you say you're depressed and you're anxious all the time, I can say, uh, Yeah, let's talk first about uh, I heard that you are a gardener. So, how cool, how, which flowers do you have? And so, and then you can say, You know, every flower can rest from time to time just in the earth. It knows it will be, pro- be provided with all nutritions. And the sun warms it. The flower feels the warmth of the sun and the fresh water it is provided by. Or as a surfer, the waves carry you always back to your beach, always back home, always where you belong. So these are very strong personalized stories and they have huge therapeutic impact. So Milton Erickson, Uh, has more solved psychological cases than Sigmund Freud. Uh, He's one of the most successful documented uh, therapists because he used personalized stories to change something in humans.
0: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So basically, um, making a metaphor out of your life in a way that is uh, emotionally uh, salient to you and recognizing some truth that maybe in your life you've had trouble, trouble implementing and counting on and kind of relying on are now um, really internalized better because it it comes through a story about something that's emotionally important to you. I guess. Yeah. yes, yeah, what what would be what would be something in your life that is um, uh, something like that, what you just described, we're close mm-hmm. to it.
1: Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned before, one of the uh, most impactful funny stories was Last Samurai, this Hollywood cliché movie with Tom Cruise that inspired me so deeply. And all this Kung Fu uh, series in the 90s, they, they touched me somewhere very deeply that transformation is possible, that inner peace is possible. They touched me so deeply that they motivated me for... Um, for Buddhism, for spiritual practice, for practice on my own mind, this was one of the most impactful narratives in my life. Um, later on, uh, for sure, a lot of improv teachers influenced me, and uh, psychotherapists um, uh, from which I learned that this is this power. So there, I'm still using this um what is what, right now
0: what i, I want to ask you nico what in that movie in, in last summer what what was the actual plot and how how did it relate to you in the same way that thinking about the seed as a gardener is mm-hmm. going to is going to be internalized uh what is the plot of the movie and how does it um what is the isomorphism with your own life at that point
1: Oh, that's a very good question because that's very funny. Actually, when this cannot be more contrarian, uh, Tom Cruise played this uh, general uh, from the U S army who was a bit traumatized from the uh, fighting against um, the native Americans because he had a lot of, he did himself a lot of war crimes and became the uh, alcoholic and uh, nihilistic and, um, was a super fucked up but a narcissist character, very, very egocentric, a showman, um, and had nothing to do actually with my character because I was, I had no self confidence, um, I had no experience in any war, I had, um, I had nothing really emotional attachment, but this feeling of lostness, maybe you know, I felt as a child, as teenager, lost. And just this aspect and this nihilistic, you know, what about life? What is really out there for me? And is there's no meaning in life, seems so. So this maybe nihilistic lost part was a big resonance in the first stage of the movie. In the second part, Tom Cruise gets a new contract to fight against samurai and the old uh, Japanese culture because... Uh, Japan plans to um, industrialize itself and they want to modernize everything and um, And, and their old caste system was against it. And uh, there are a lot of pros and cons, but uh, basically they were also fighting against their own native folks, similar to the States. And so mm-hmm. they knew he had experience and brought him in. Um, in a battle, he was then kidnapped a samurai brought back to a village and kept there as a prisoner to get to know the enemy better. But in this, being the prisoner, they get to know each other, exchange their pictures. And Tom Cruise had no alcohol there, so he had to get on rehab forcefully. <laughs> and then he saw this Buddhist culture of mindfulness. Uh, letting go was a very big aspect. Letting go of your greed, letting go of... Uh, what others think of you, letting go of all your worries, getting out of your head. And this was a big part that resonated with me, letting go of worries, letting go of your thoughts and dramas in your mind. And then I saw this very fantastic uh, uh, moment where like, He wakes up and he doesn't need alcohol anymore, Tom Cruise, and he's everything seems calm and wide with a wide awareness, and he sees the peaceful nature in Japan and plays with the children in this village. And this had such a strong impact on me. There's a wait. This transformation is possible. It somehow triggered me. I knew it was a movie for sure, but this possibility of very very deep transformation towards peace, self-confidence, and a spiritual orientation, this connectedness with nature and other people suddenly that appeared and was so beautifully filmed. Yeah. It really brought me. That Yeah, that's
0: beautiful. And when it comes to that, what's really fascinating is that you really have to trust the storyteller because you've just now realized that maybe some sort of change that is almost hard to imagine uh going mm-hmm. through as a person now you're yep. seeing it on the screen and seeing that it is possible but of yes. course be- behind that story sits a storyteller that could write any story and could write yep. a story in a way that makes uh, a change that isn't so feasible uh, mm-hmm. seem feasible somehow or uh, or vice versa they can they can, just as well, write a story that is going to completely demoralize you and say, Oh, this yes. isn't possible. What if they, what if the change is possible, but they wrote it badly? So it seems that it isn't possible. So they really fucked up. It's so fascinating. So, in terms of the art of storytelling, there has to be um, logic and progression that makes it all seem plausible as if it could happen in real life so that you would be able to look at it and say this is possible in real life and this person wrote it in a way that shows it to me and I can accept it because it has internal logic and you know he he hasn't just um, employed some deus ex machina thing where uh, you know an (laughs) angel comes to Tom Cruise which is kind yes. of, which is really the old way of doing things. Um,
1: yes, <laughs> but it's,
0: yeah, that's 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 really fascinating. I'm 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 being reminded of of something that's carried me forward in during hard times, and that is a kind of a, I call it a personal mythology for myself. So, after years of being depressed, after my my mom passed away. It was kind of time. A lot of things kind of showed me that it was time to move on to a new stage, but at some point I'm not sure where exactly um or when I I had this idea of, of the phoenix, right? Of the of the mm-hmm. fire bird that rises from the ashes, uh, that it is kind of eternally going through cycles of life and death, right? Um And I remember something clicked in my mind about it Mm -hmm. and I started seeing myself as, as a Phoenix, you know, and saying, what if I, if I can be a Phoenix, not in a way that there is reincarnation, but in the sense Mm -hmm. that in life I can be, uh, I can be hit by very hard blows like that, which I know very well could happen again at any time because Mm -hmm. that's life. But The idea of me being on some level, and I'm not believing this literally or anything, but entertaining the thought that I have some sort of a phoenix mentality in me really helps me deal with things and um, stand up after I've been hit and, and struck down to the ground. And then to corroborate that story, I start finding interesting facts in the world. So my name, uh, my name in Hebrew, the the initials uh, spell out fire, which is really my, mm-hmm. my my Twitter username too. Ish, so that's fire in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, Phoenix comes from Greek for purple, which is mm-hmm. the um, only color. Uh, I would only play with uh, purple colored toys when I was just mm-hmm. a few months, a o- few months old. So very mm. bizarre, very bizarre mm. thing. Um, and Phoenix is the scientific name for the date palm, the tree we eat the sweet fruits of. And that mm. in itself is, is a beautiful and I love trees and I love mm-hmm. plants and I love the natural world. So all these things kind of came together to make this personal mythology that carries yes. me forward because I get anxious. I get fearful about losing people who are close to me because I've had that happen to me. And yes, what happens is that now it's not that it's gone away. It's not that I don't think about it anymore. I often think about losing people close to me or what would happen to them mm-hmm. if, if they lose me. But now I have this story of, like, shit can happen. I will rise again. I will rise yes. again because I know this story. This all comes yes. from this personal mythology that I constructed. And mm. it's very interesting because there is still some tension in the sense that I know it's not real. Okay? So yeah. I, I could go and from time to time, I would say, like, what is this story going to be worth when, when real shit hits the fan, you know, when this Mm. terrible thing does happen. I don't, I don't know, I can't tell, Mm. but at least Mm -hmm. for my day to day life, Mm. whenever I have a really bad thought, I'm Mm. now able to, to go on by, by having the habit of referring to my story. You know? yeah. So everything that Stoics pretty much, well, modern Stoicism with all the visualization techniques and the negative mm. thinking techniques, mm. it's it's just something that grew naturally in me because I've had these thoughts. I find yes. it kind of funny that today in, in, mm. in modern Stoicism, Stoicism mm. has been a buzzword in recent years, you know, and they try to tell it to you as a technique, like think bad thoughts so mm. you're more happy with your present. And yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure it's that way. I think Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> if he did any of that, he just probably had a lot of bad thoughts all the time. He probably had PTSD, <laughs> you know, being on yeah. the front lines all the time. Mm. Um, and I, I find that these are the best techniques for people are the techniques that grow naturally out of a need in their own life, a problem to solve. We have mm. a problem situation that we need to face and that's where we're going to find the techniques and that uh, so in a more meta way i don't know if you should go into these already developed techniques as much as you should be taught to like be creative write a story about it like you say yeah yeah see what stories what see what story comes up it might mm-hmm. help you deal with with what you're going through
1: Yeah, this is very, very beautiful. I mean, you brought up this very beautiful example of the phoenix that is so, so personal and where you saw everywhere the patterns in your life arise um, with ash as fire and so. So this is a, a huge power that you have here. And the beautiful thing is, we talked about this, a story needs to be believable. It needs to be trustworthy. The beautiful thing is here that we filter the stories, we, we feel resonance with stories that resonate with our emotional background. So if it's very easy to feed us filter bubbles, our own opinions back. In the same way, it's easier to feed us stories that have at least partly resonance already with us. The same critic uh, had um, Milton Erickson in psychotherapy. They said, oh, hypotherapy, it's either fake or it's manipulation. I said, no, no, no. I, I just use your own imaginary. I can't even manipulate you because if I use images and feelings that don't resonate with you, I, nothing will happen. You will even resist me. Your subconscious will fight me. Like in the movie Inception, the subconscious character thought, Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. we have this defense of subconscious so in the same way we have welcoming characters in us that say oh yes the fire phoenix that out from the ashes he arises this is something very very beautiful and a big treasure but as you say a huge challenge how can we Find our own personalized stories because we need our personalized stories. Yeah. One important aspect is here to have some feeling of resonance. They call it now in Twitter vibing, for example. You you feel there's, it touches your heart, it touches your soul in some way. And this is something that we can drain. That I felt I became more and more, and I still become more and more aware of. Something like an aesthetic awareness. Something like what brings me into a strong state? What brings me to bliss? What brings me into a fire of passion and love? How, in which situations do I work well, in which not? This is their own kind of nearly taste that you can develop. What stories do you feed yourselves and what stories do you write? And this is something I use also right now in psychological coaching a lot, to to cultivate an awareness of stories, of narratives, of images, of music, of touch, of whatever your medium is. Maybe it's dance. That you feel what feeds your soul, what gives you wings to fly. Mm. And in this way, uh, we automatically can filter the stories that feed us, that are nutritious for us. Yeah. So it's really something about a lot of experimentation. Nobody can tell you, but this awareness of what is healthy for myself is something very beautiful and healthy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if we are, well, I don't have to wonder a lot. I'm pretty sure that we don't work on exactly those aspects in 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 education, in educating in yeah. educating mm-hmm. people of how to live well, you know, we put such um, strong emphasis on on knowledge, and even there, in the realm of knowledge, we mostly use we mostly teach useless stuff. But taking care of yourself in this way, it also puts you in a position where you have a lot more control over your life because you are mm-hmm. an author of something, and you're able to. Um, in the same way an author has a first draft and then changes it because Mm -hmm. they can, you know, you can do that with your own life and see what works for you, like you say, and think a thought, see if it works or not and Mm. play with that. And I wonder uh, what would be a a good beginning if we're approaching um, young people to do it because it's always easier to start start people Mm -hmm. young on that. Is it just reading a lot of stories and living in a lot of stories that kind of naturally develops it or is there some more structured ways to get people um, to to author some, some life stories for mm-hmm. themselves or or to author some um, potential characters that they might like to try and emulate and see where it takes them?
1: Yeah. So I think there's two aspects First of all, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a pedagogic expert, but what I can see what works for my grown-up clients, let's say, is what works for me especially, right? That's especially what I can say what works for me. Yeah. And what I think is, um, fr- as I mentioned before, freedom alone is not enough. I don't think that, for sure, it's it's good to allow the children to play randomly, but This awareness of aesthetics is something else. So I think there's freedom and inspiration. These two pillars. Freedom to mess around, to make mistakes that are not really mistakes, provide a safe space for experimentation. If they like to write, let them write a lot of bullshit to find their own taste. The same with music, uh, I don't know, uh, dancing or uh, programming, whatever they like. And... In this way, they first get the self-confidence of, yes, I can explore, and I'm not afraid that something will happen when I explore. Because when we push with very strong rewards, with very strong narratives from the school or parents, then you are nearly like blending. You're putting such a strong spotlight on the things what to do that they will ignore all other aspects. And say, oh, if I mess around with my friends now, I will get, I don't know, a screamed at from my mom and there will be this big screaming drama again. I need to go home and sit on, do this and this and this. For sure, it's good to give some guidance, on the other hand. Mm. So, well, what I think as parents, for now, I'm just a dog parent, but what I saw, what worked with my parents for me is they didn't for sure. They were also strict in some sense, but in a good way, but also they lived as role models. Hi mom. Hi dad. Yes, you were role models. <laughs> 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 and thank you mom and dad. Um, so cliche now, right? Um, <laughs> and the second thing is that you need this inspiration. You need this guidance towards bliss. It's not for nothing that in this Steve Campbell's Hero's Journey, you have the role of guiding personalities. Mm, mentoring. Yeah. Mentoring. And the mentor is somebody that can invite you to adventures, support you in adventures, and allow you aesthetics to try on. Right. So let's say uh, you want to start writing and then you just mess around and so and yes for sure a very um there's a fair teacher would say i don't teach him anything he has to develop everything else maybe a guide or mentor would say look here's the style from this author here's the style from this also which style do you like which style would fit yours are you more interested in historical writings are you writing more crazy or serious philosophical What is your style? And he can provide some invitations to different agencies. They can try it out. And for this is important now, rules. (laughs) We both love this topic. But the thing is, when we don't, when, for example, you want to try out the Western genre writing, you can just experience an authentic Western adventure If you follow the rules of what a cowboy would do, if he would enter a spaceship, yes, that's cool and exciting, but it's not the authentic experience of a Western cowboy hero anymore. So I think to dive into deeper aesthetics, to really experience them, guidance and some kind of rules as tools are very, very powerful that you don't dogmatically, but you say, let's follow us together. Let's explore together for some weeks. Now, this what do you say? And then they can go deep and they get a feeling of what an aesthetic looks like. Because if you never dive into an aesthetic of a story, you don't learn to create coherence, to create meaning that can be shared with others. Because the stories we tell... stories that we both understand that you and your child understands and for this we need shared meaning and shared meaning arises when we agree on some values and contexts yeah it, it it
0: it makes me laugh my daughter is at this stage where she could start a story with um yeah well, there was this unicorn and he was going through the forest and he hit um, he hit uh, he hit his leg on a on a boulder and it hurt him. So he called um, the princess to help him. And then she brought um, a friend who were just at this huge red giant house, and the friend lived there, was eating cookies made by the baker. And like, wait, wait, where is this going? It's like <laughs> it's definitely not coherent. Uh, so that's really interesting. And also, I now realize that it's such a it's such a good place for for looking for those things. So another thing that she does, for example, is that she would sometimes uh, fall down accidentally just because she was uh, not being careful. She's the most careful, cautious person alive, but sometimes she falls and then immediately it takes her, it doesn't even take her half a second. She's like, I just sat down to check out the view from here. <laughs> it's
1: just, there's a, I don't
0: know. I don't know any child who does this, but it's, very interesting that it's, it's her instinct to come up with a, a completely different reality to deal with the fact that that she's, I don't know, embarrassed, which is also weird for a child her age. She's three and a half, and she's embarrassed about falling. But yeah. she immediately goes to to narratives. And I often think, is this a good thing? Mm-hmm. or should she not be so hard on herself mm-hmm. do I need to tell her well actually it's okay to fall don't be just don't be embarrassed yeah, yeah. you know it's <laughs> like you don't have to come up with a crazy story about right now you were just checking to see if the floor is is mm-hmm. clean or not you know I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think I guess some people could abuse stories to live in an alternate reality and Uh, steer clear from any problem that they actually need to solve?
1: Yes, um, there's a huge danger. I mean, I have myself this danger because I love stories so much. They can Mm -hmm. get lost in them for hours. Um, I think groundlessness is here something very important. Uh, So for me, I feel at some point disconnected from my own life, whatever my own life now means, but from my Surroundings from the people that surround me, from my family, from my friends, from my work, and in this way, I try to feed myself the stories that have meaning, in a way. Like you know, it is. I compare a lot of times stories with food because they have so many beautiful metaphors together. Um, the taste um, and the healthy stories so are the healthy food, and in the same way, you can't pinch eat even on carrots, even if they're healthy, but if you just eat carrots, you will get yellow skin.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So um, there's a balance, the same with eating. And I know people, I I know people that uh, use stories. They, I experienced with them an adventure and they, after three years, they don't remember that we together were in there and tell me, hey, I never told you about this cool story. And then it was half. Real and half, like, made up. <laughs> and, and, and I listen because he's a very good storyteller. He's a very good storyteller. And, and even if it, I know it's not real and uh, it's okay, that's him. Um, but he tells amazing, funny stories. And he surprises me with the experiences we had together. Um, and it can become dangerous because then you don't see the reality anymore. You turn yourself everything into pink elephants in your brain. Oh, it was good like this. And you rephrase it. It's good. It can protect you. It's good. Especially in the moments of crisis. I think the stories are very good. And and why not? If if they don't do harm and if they entertain, okay. Uh, So I don't fight with my friend about, no, it was different. and I don't know it's a, if it's about his confusion or fantasy or a mixture about this. Um, he's not a liar on purpose. Um, so he is a very fantastic guy. Um, so it's about health as a food. And it's a very boring answer. But <laughs> if you, as long as you are balanced, uh, you can find this groundedness important that it has connection and meaning with you. And... This has not really something to do, maybe something to do with stories itself, but your fears. Often when we're more in stories and especially consuming stories, there's some type of reality avoidance. And then you can ask your question. And this is anyway, one of the most impactful questions you can ask yourself. What do I avoid? I ask myself this regularly. What are my topics of fear? What are my topics that I avoid? It doesn't have to be fear. It can be shame. It can be anything. Anger or confrontation. There can be so much that I avoid. And uh, this generates then this suffering. It's not even the stories that I love, but the stories that I avoid that have the most powerful healing potential. Because then I face the dragon, as John Peterson would say, I go into the cave and slay the dragon that I am afraid of. And that yeah. is really powerful, confronting yourself with the stories that you are afraid of.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, it, it made me think of what actually was the story. So that my whole personal mythology with the Phoenix, I'm starting to think, what is the story that this helped erase? And the story that was before that is... I'm very unlucky. I'm a, I'm a I'm a boy who lost his mom at a young age. So, you know, give me some slack, have some pity on me. Um when I want something, give it to me because I've had a rough childhood. Whatever, mm-hmm. you know. I So, that was kind of of the card I would play on people to to get my way. And now I realize that when coming up with stories, you probably probably want to come up with the stories that empower you, that put you in a position of somebody who's able, who has power, uh, rather than stories that end up with you being the victim of a series of accidents, which is, I'm paraphrasing this from uh, from Kurt Vonnegut, because he has this uh, line um, where in Sirens of Titan, uh, somebody tells somebody someone else is like you are the victim of a series of accidents, as we are all. So this is true. We are eventually we can't be we can't be so powerful to actually control our future. But hmm. the way you look at things and the stories you you want to to live by uh, make a difference. And I think that if you are living in a story where you are the victim. And it's it's the kind of story that justifies your behavior. So there are, there are two ways to, to address some behavior you don't like in yourself. And most of us know what our behaviors that we don't like are, right? Yeah. Um, you could either justify it by making mm-hmm. yourself the victim of some unfortunate accidents and maybe other people's behavior that made you the way you are. Or you could empower yourself and act differently. You know, one day just say, "Well, I used to, I I used to do that in this situation, but now I won't because it's it's not where I am. It's not what I wish for myself, and I want to break character in this way." Yes, and of course we always think that people see us as characters. They're going to point something. Um, it's almost shameful to break character or something like that. When in effect, what usually happens is that you go, you change this behavior, either people, uh, probably people will not even notice, but if they do, they would be like, wow, this is great. I'm so happy that you were mm-hmm. able to, to do this and and mm-hmm. I can see a, a difference in you. So yes. it's so easy, I think, to fall into the trap of of justifying your behavior and constructing stories that um, just explain very well why you're not the, the person that you want to be, you know? So I'd yeah. say maybe that's a caveat to put out there. If you find yourself constructing these stories, maybe try to shift it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, very uh, big decision is there. Again, the question of avoidance. Do I integrate? my family, do I integrate my whole environment into the story that I create? And then it has an aspect of transcendence. Because transcendence is, for me, there are two types of transcendence. You can dissolve yourself in a meditative or druggish way, or you can go beyond yourself. Integrate family, society, your neighborhood create a garden in your heart where the fruits of your family can grow. In this way, when you identify not with yourself anymore, when your family and, and if you're a scientist, it can be truth of science mm-hmm. or it can be when you're a musician, it can be the music that you don't matter but the music matters in this moment and then There's not so much danger of justification or even showmanship, right? A lot of stories have this character of showmanship sometimes. Oh, I was then winning the marathon, blah, blah, blah. These egocentrical stories happen when we don't transcend our borders. And if we identify if if our society, the, the truth, the beauty, and the good if this can be integrated, digested again, (laughs) nutritionist metaphor, into our stories, then there's so much more wholesomeness and there's also shared meaning automatically. It suddenly appears a story that can be automatically shared and understood. John Lennon said, the artist's goal is not to express his own feelings, but to digest the feelings of society and express them. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. And this is also the best artists do. Because then the songs catch your heart. They catch your subconscious. They draw you automatically in. It doesn't have to be about the news. It can be existential. It can be something you, you absorb. You absorb the atmosphere. That is surround you and digest it, and then you create, and then it's then it's something, and it's a a shared treasure, because you digest that something for your family. Then art becomes something like a treasure.
0: Yeah, you can- absolutely. I mean, I think there is no better explanation that I can think of to account for the. Um, loneliness epidemic and depression epidemic, to me, the explanation has to be the fact that we live in, in the Western world, in societies where uh, the self is the goal rather than anything bigger than ourselves. And when you try all the time to optimize the world, or oh, we, we got there, um, <laughs> when we try to optimize things around us, so that the self will not be harmed, will be at com- comfortable all the time, mm. you know, uh, safe and feeling good and feeling pleasure and all that. That is, um, we're doomed, we're doomed. Mm. The best thing for, for, the best way to get ourselves to feel good is to actually just be a very subtle kind of vessel through which that carries uh, things into and, and, and changing the world around us. Yeah. Right. So in the end, the self, like you say, this transcendence, Mm. just as you say, I think with, uh, with meditation, I think meditation is a, is a very good way to prime yourself, to be in a position to help something bigger for yourself. But a lot of times people just view meditation as the goal as in a way to, um, to make everything around them almost uh, to make it as uh, have as, as little an effect as possible on them so they can be in their own world and never really care about what's outside. I think meditation is just one step on our way to actually harmonizing things around ourselves. And then yep. in that way, you learn to make your yourself small but yourself should be small because like you say, it's integrated with something much bigger than itself. Not that's because it's everything. So <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's very interesting. And that is why I think for a lot of people who suffer depression, a lot of people, and then that used to be me, you know, the, mm-hmm. the first thing is to try and um, do something outside of yourself. So for me, I realized yep. one one a few techniques I'm going to share. So one one technique for me that I came up with for uh, feeling depressed, mm. for example, I used I used not to like the winter. As a, a lot of people miss the sunlight and it's cold mm. and you don't want to do much. I used to be like that, even though in Israel, without the winter, we would have nothing to drink and it, it would be a big problem. At some point, I realized, well, I'm not happy right now. Okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to myself. I'm not happy. My mood is low, but, I'm ha- but I can be happy for the trees that are getting it. I can, yes. be, I can appreciate the fact that it's green outside. I can appreciate that it's this rain that's going to make me survive through the summer. So that's one thing. And then another thing, if you can develop a habit of whenever you're down, try doing something nice for somebody else. It's yes. it's and and make it almost a sign for you, a sign for you that a, a reminder that we have the power to help other people. If if mm. I'm down and I'm not in a good mood, I'm going to be try and be extra good for those around me. Because yep. the, what is going to get me out of this mood is not thinking about it is not, (laughs) is not finding some fantastical thoughts, which if they worked, they would work for just five minutes. They would not, it would just be a plaster. Right. But if, but if I'm getting into the habit of, okay, my mood is low, I'm going to do something nice. I'm going to call someone up and ask them how Mm. they're doing. Not in order to talk about myself, but to actually listen. Then I'm creating a place where I'm, learning to that uh, being proactive about doing good in the world is what's going to save you from this uh, rumination about how well you're doing because the, the yeah. worst thing for your well-being is to constantly be checking the monitor am I well am I well you know am i happy right mm. now that is yes. if, if you go looking for if you go looking for happiness the chances that you are actually going to find it uh, they they drop drastically
1: yes right? yeah <laughs> yeah it's beautiful actually um it's like temperature as you mentioned happiness is something emergent because if as now the earth comes out but there is no temperature in the um, particles right so if you zoom in with a microscope there is no temperature anymore and the same as with happiness if you look too closely yeah um it's very beautiful said if the perspective outside. I love it. That's also, for me, one of the most healing methods that I can use. Help others. um, Fall in love is one of the most beautiful healing things that you can experience. Falling in love with another person, animal, music, art. And there is, again, it comes back, this bliss. This follow the bliss is something so powerful if it integrates the truth, the beauty, and the good, because we cannot survive for ourselves. We can just heal ourselves via the world, via the universe. We cannot survive alone. In the same way we are open system, we need to eat, so we need to feed us also stories if and transcendental values. We need family, we need beauty and the truth in some way. Mm -hmm. If we don't have it, it's like self-digesting. I try to be for myself. I I try to give myself myself, that doesn't work. It's like try eating yourself. Uh We are just pipelines. Exactly, exactly. We are bridges to each other. And in this way, when we see ourselves as transcendental bridges, Yeah, These bridges that go beyond and beyond and beyond, from meaning to meaning and play with these meanings. Then we become these links and dynamic and then we don't identify static. We're not islands, we're bridges. And that's the powerful thing then. Then this leads us automatically outward. To what do I connect? To what am I the bridge? To what am I the link?
0: Oh that is yes. that is fantastic you know and makes me think about the whole thing of flow we have in language we have flow on the one side and we have the self and it's almost like um you know so <laughs> as a physicist you know about quantum quantum mechanics and that is exactly like the the wave function versus the uh, versus like the the laws of motion right so yes. if you are operating with a sense that just as you say, that, that things around you affect you and you in turn affect things out in the world, then you realize from the first person perspective, it doesn't feel like you are now performing some amazing dance or something like that. It's just good flow is for the world to flow through you. It's not about, yes. it's not about yeah. you, the world flows through you. That is just yes. flow. That is, it's not about you doing something amazingly well, you know. You um, can't
1: flow. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You can't mm. flow. So yeah. you want to eventually be able to to take an outside look and and enjoy the the wave function without collapsing it by by measuring things all the time, right? Mm. And yes. I love it. I'm going to take it back to, to Kurt Vonnegut, who's a person who was yeah. heavily traumatized in World War II. And even before then, you know, the guy came back yeah. on Mother's Day to find that his mom committed suicide, which is like yeah. this tr- funny, tragic, or <laughs> funny, yeah. tragedy, or, or, or a tragic, funny thing on in some, in some level. And I'm saying funny yeah. because that's how he healed himself. He wrote about these yeah. funny things. And to him, he was traumatized. He had to deal with demons that would come to him Mm -hmm. at night and during the day. And to him internally with him, he had to develop an attitude of like almost nihilism, almost like nothing matters. Mm -hmm. And if somebody dies, it's not a big deal. I'm just gonna say, so it goes, you know. Mm -hmm. But on the outside, he never lost touch with humanity. And he wrote books as gifts for humanity and acts of love and wrote Mm. about how important it is to love Mm. even though nothing matters. So he's holding these seemingly paradoxical things. At times he's saying things that are almost like nihilistic. Nothing matters. There Mm. is no meaning in anything. We're here just to fart around and all these ridiculous things. (laughs) At the Mm. same time, he says the only rational way of acting in such a world is loving is is doing yes. is being good for uh, for something that's for a greater whole other than yourself
1: that's so so beautiful and that's exactly what i feel like in my deepest heart there life has no rules and this makes it so beautiful like alice in wonderland describes when the king gives the, uh, gets the statistic poem and he says a god tells him, "King, king, take care! This poem is from nothing; has no sense at all." And the king is super, super happy and says, oh, amazing. This saves us a world of trouble because then we don't have to find and fight over any meaning about it. <laughs> yeah. And this is another thing. Like coming back to improv, standing on the stage, enjoying creating a story together is not so much about truth, but about the story that is beyond our own truth. So it means I can make the beautiful piece on the stage and somebody runs on the stage and that's a lie. That's not true. That Yeah, whatever. Nobody interested if this is not right on the truth. For sure, we need rational truth and try to model the world. But meanings like love, connectedness, and this humanistic values that we have. These are narratives and let's find shared norms, shared stories that we can combine and play with and not become dogmatic. And for this is important that we learn to become managers of our own stories. That we learn from a childhood on already to create our own stories. not get stuck in the boxes of our subjectivity. And one of the biggest, biggest keys, I think, for staying fluid, for staying adaptive, is not crisis, would say sometimes that every human needs a crisis for change. Yes, but there's even a better, (laughs) a more healthy approach, I think, is the joy of aesthetic. Because we humans, have this wonderful, wonderful reward function in us that when we see something beautiful, and it can be, as a scientist, a beautiful theory. Or Mm -hmm. in sport, what is an elegant move in the chess game? It's something that is efficient, it is eloquent, it is energy-saving, it is maybe surprising for the opponent. So beauty has in itself something like performance in it, Without looking for performance and adaption, right? So, an elegant tennis stroke has efficiency. Yeah. An elegant tennis stroke has power and force and, 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 and something very, very mighty. And it's, and it's not uh, random. So, the context of the game determines what is elegance. And this is so beautiful because then, elegance is not isolated. If we absorb the other world, like a tennis player absorbs a tennis court, there is then in this moment, only very, very few possibilities for an elegant stroke. And most of them will be very, very performance. Nearly all. And this is something when we absorb context, when the aesthetic drive, when we teach the children the joy of aesthetic, then they will search for patterns anyway, because they the stories they have will be boring for them already. Even if they created them themselves, because they love to find stories, new stories, they create new stories, because it's the joy of the aesthetic. That's, for me, one of the biggest treasures.
0: That's, that's yeah, that's, that's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm stumped. I could go on for a long time, but I think we should save uh, some for, for next time. And I think uh, it will be on beauty, perhaps that would be interesting. Yeah, Nico, thanks so much. I mean, uh, listeners of the podcast might uh, already know you at this point, but if you want to uh, point to some places where your thoughts could be found and other things you do, then be my guest.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, my name is Nicolas Sabatil. I'm a psychological coach and software developer with a crazy mixture. Um, I'm on Twitter under the handle SissiFus, uh, um S-I-S-S-I and FUS like physics. Um and uh yeah you can find me under sabadil.com there. Um it's very difficult written, but <laughs> you can write EL and he will contact you. <laughs> give you the contact <laughs> it'll, yeah. yeah
0: it'll also be in the show notes so yeah one time i have to uh to make a, a list with all the things that you are so it's a uh, physicist tennis player painter uh coach um yeah you're just a renaissance man man and that's awesome it's been uh, great as always to to have you with me and uh, looking forward to next time already.
1: Yes, thank you, Ian. It was a big, big pleasure as usual. Thank you so much.